and welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. This is where we pick the best brains in the business world and you, the listener, feel like you are eavesdropping on a really interesting coffee conversation to give you and your business the inside edge. We take a look into the minds and brands of successful leaders and probe into how they think, feel, learn, manage teams and themselves. This show is about connecting and creating conversations that matter, building your powers of influence, persuasion and ultimately communication. We explore the latest evidence-based findings in neuromarketing, consumer behaviour, business techniques tips, trends and tricks. We love sharing the knowledge and serve brain food to keep your business healthy. To continue eavesdropping and to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and my website, brandstorm.com.au. So while our first guest settles in, orders their coffee, grab yourself one and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest works with businesses to use social media for business gain without the BS. I like that bit. I'd I'd love to welcome our next guest, Nicola Morass. How are you, Nicola? I'm excellent. How are you, Jackie? Good. I like that. That that certainly got my attention because (laughs) I think social media is one of those, uh, it's sort of like the big buzzword at the moment. Everyone's talking Mm -hmm. about it and there's lots of sharks out there, lots of people, you know, promising the world and not delivering. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this online world with no BS and people are really struggling, particularly particularly anyone sort of north of 45 in my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're usually the business owners and so they're being led up the garden path a lot. And yeah. I thought, I need to talk to you about this. Is that sort of where that BS, <laughs> no BS came from? It really is. You know, there are so many people and you're right, 45 and over and, and some below that as well, actually. It's just, there's so much information out there a lot of misinformation out there and it's not, you know, hands up of how many of us have got a whole bunch of time, particularly as business owners, Mm. to spend trying to work out what the heck works, what doesn't. And I think the bigger question is, well, why do I need to do it and how is this actually going to help grow the business, which, you know, leads to return on investment for time invested and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, that's really why I wrote this is because there is just so much noise out there around what you need to do, what platforms you need to be on and everything else in between. So Yeah, now we should talk about what you've written is a book called Visible. Uh, and how did the name Visible come about? It's one of those things. It wasn't the original name. I can't even remember what I thought the name might be actually. But it was just throughout the process of of writing what I was writing, it, it was sort of like, well, you know, this is really helping people go from business owners, go from feeling really invisible online to confused and overwhelmed. So, well, like, what's the consequence of doing this? I was like, well, you're visible. So, sort of like originally going to be invisible to visible, but that's really hard to say. <laughs> so just kind of decided to drop the first bit and run with visible that 
the main reason for staying with that name is because it, it's the culmination of you being consistent, putting yourself out there, doing it in a way that really works for you. Visible is almost the, the byproduct of you doing all of that. Right. So with social media, uh, mm. I noticed here that you talk about um, that you help clients and people around the world with the social media and marketing strategies uh, to help these clients become professionally famous. And I, I did like that in I'm doing air quotation marks as I'm doing that professionally famous right. online. Mm-hmm. What are some of the benefits? Like why would someone want to be professionally famous? What's the, what's the benefit of that? Great question. So to me, if we think about why we'd want to use social media as business owners, it's in order to grow our businesses. The ultimate aim for a business owner is to make money as well as, you know, by doing the work that you do in whichever way, shape or form you do that. So the professionally famous comes in and and is beneficial because you become sought after in your industry. You can become seen as an expert, provided you've got the, the evidence online there to back that up, obviously. You've got the ability to be able to use your positioning as a way of being able to cut through the noise and really be able to stand out. So what our audiences, no matter what business that you're looking that you're in, what our audiences are looking for is someone to trust. They're looking for people who are telling them the truth, who are there to help them and who they can follow without being sold to every moment of every time of every day when they come across you. So, Is, is there a formula that you use? I've read in the past and, it, and it's always different. Everyone's got their own different formula where they yes. put, you know, it's a 752 rule or mm-hmm. something like that. Have you got some formula that you use? I, I'd suggest that we, I call it value stacking. So something that I talk about in the book and I talk about with every client of mine actually is that you want to put out a good five pieces of content, value-based content, without making an offer. So we're not talking about how to download my book or come to this workshop or sign up for my coaching package or buy my widget thing. We want to give people a good five pieces of value-based content before anything and then say, well, like, this is how you can get some help from me. And then we keep repeating that process. So is so it, is it five stacking. one? Is it five one? So five sort of value yeah. add, then one buy this? Call the action. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then what about your view on people getting to know the person behind the profile? <laughs> I am, but for most companies, most businesses, I recommend that. Now, if you're in a larger organisation, that might be a little bit different. You would empower someone in your team, champion someone in your team to be the face of social media, ideally, or a few people to be the face of social media. Talking about small business and entrepreneurs, startups, anything like that, I advocate for you really showcasing you. Humans buy from humans, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a really big problem out there where many people are hiding behind the facade of pretty 
pictures and and not actually sharing themselves, not sharing their stories. And we're all looking for connection and we're all looking for people to trust because there is a lot of people out there, like what you were saying before, there's a lot of people out there that are just putting their stuff all over the place. So they're looking for people that they can really get to know and really get to trust. And that by putting yourself out there, by really helping people get to see you in different facets, really helps you to shortcut that trust building process. Yeah. Now I don't I'm don't want me to offend you, but no. I'm always the I I I'm not sure I don't think there's that you can use the word expert in social media only because mm-hmm. it changes so quickly and so often that I'm thinking, well, how do you keep up to date with all these changes? So it's hard to be an expert when things are moving so quickly. Is it moving as quickly as it's perceived to be? That is an excellent question. And I, okay, so, yeah, things change all the time. Things change all the time. Algorithms change and, and things like that change all the time. The thing that doesn't change is relationship building and emotional direct response marketing. So when we're looking at the methodology that I advocate for, which is showcasing you, sharing you, value stacking, knowing your audience really, really well and solving problems for them through the content, the value-rich content that you're putting out, that doesn't stop working if an algorithm changes. It doesn't stop working if the internal workings of a platform change. So, yeah, different things change all the time in social media. But if we look at the fundamentals of human behaviour, of how people build trust and how people build relationships, that does not change. And that's essentially what we're applying into social media using these strategies. That's a great answer. Now, just quickly for those that are a little bit unfamiliar with social media and I get asked mm-hmm. a lot of questions, people get confused. So let's, let's, uh, let's create an avatar. Let's create someone mm-hmm. that's, an, that's an entrepreneur uh, mm-hmm. and they're wanting to, they've, they've got a service or product that they're selling, but they're mm-hmm. selling themselves as well as mm-hmm. the face of their business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they go, well, where do I start? Do I do, and of course they've got to start where their audience is, but then you go, mm-hmm. well, they're confused Facebook versus Instagram versus Twitter. So the three, mm-hmm. let's use those three platforms. Link, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, I think, is pretty self-explanatory, but I think Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, people get a bit confused about the three platforms and what mm-hmm. they should be using them for. Can you yeah. just give a very quick, simple explanation of the difference between those three platforms? Certainly. So Instagram is very image-driven. So if you are, for example, you were talking about an avatar of, of an entrepreneur, so music graphic designer, for example, you could go and put out some photos and some imagery of your work or some things that inspire you. So Instagram is primarily about images with a little bit of text. LinkedIn is purely is mainly business connections. Twitter is very short, sharp bursts of text. You can still put images in there as well, but it's really, really super fast-paced. Excellent for journalists and authors and and people like that. Facebook has got it. It's a bit of a blend with uh, with Instagram, Twitter, and and well, 
Facebook. So you can use images, but you can also just do text posts as well. So Facebook is kind of like the, the, the best hybrid, if you like, for the different ways of being able to share information. Instagram, and it actually has a, has a user base of 2.2 billion active users. So it's also got the biggest audience base. People spend on average 40 minutes a day on Facebook. So you've got a really great chance of being able to capture their information or capture their attention, rather. In Instagram, with the images and, and things like that flowing through, that's really great. I think there was, uh, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but it's a, it's a lot more image-driven. It's a lot harder to capture their attention on Instagram because it's so fast-moving. Mm. And on Twitter, I would be, I wouldn't start there to be honest. If you're time poor, go with Facebook, go with Instagram. I would probably lean towards Instagram over Twitter and generally over LinkedIn as well for an entrepreneur and then use your website versus trying to make Twitter work for you. Yeah, so that's, I'm glad you mentioned the website because uh, mm. lots of research say that websites like three or four on the list when people are looking for you, they'll go to mm-hmm. the, to your social media platforms first where it used to be the default, used to be straight to your website. Mm. Uh, so look, there, I think there's still value in putting into your website, but I think it's time, mm-hmm. some, some of the effort that you put into your website in the past, that time and effort, resources and money can be put into your social media as part of your digital presence. Mm-hmm. Would, would that be considered? consistent with what you'd recommend? Yeah, it, it does. It is, yes. I would certainly recommend your website. That That is, it's, I promote and advocate for a three-pillar strategy to start with, particularly if you're starting out. And there's always Facebook, your website, and then depending on where your audience is hanging out, then that you choose your third platform being Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter. So, your website just gives someone a place to go and do some more research on you without all the noise of a news feed to try and scroll through. So I think it's it's still important. It's not the first priority necessarily like what it used to be say, 10 years ago. Yeah, but it's still part of that uh Part of your key toolkit, I would absolutely. say. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Okay, Nick, uh, Nicola, congratulations. Is this your first book? Uh, it's my first book about marketing, yes. Excellent. Well, uh, congratulations. It's always tricky uh, writing books and uh, often that's the bit that people don't discuss a lot about. They think, oh, I'll just write a book. It's easy. It's yeah. not. Uh, so mm-hmm. well done on doing that. It's called Visible. It's available now where everywhere you can buy books, I'm assuming. Yes. Great. And uh, and have you been getting some uh, really good feedback on it? Really great feedback. There's really, really great feedback in terms of it's not just a theoretical book. There's worksheets, there's things to do, there's activities in there so that you're also implementing the knowledge. And we've had people coming back saying that they are having great results from following the strategies that are that are outlined in there. So I'm just it's it's very humbling actually. Great. <laughs> so really exciting. Well it is very exciting. So embrace the moment. Uh, it's Thank it's an exciting you. time, Nicola. And if people want to find out more about you, where's the best place they should start? <laughs> Facebook. 
Facebook, there we are, of course. Facebook, Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Nicola Morais, thank you very much for your valuable time today and I look forward to our next encounter and I'll go back and revisit my social media strategy now. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. You're listening to Taking Care of Business right here on Adore PFM. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Now, very honoured, our next guest is an Associate Professor of Strategic Communications at the University of Louisville in the US. She is visiting here uh, in Australia and she calls it a sabbatical. I'm going to ask her about that because I don't think she's having a sabbatical. I think she's actually working really hard and <laughs> she's actively involved in researching in public relations, reputation management, crisis communications and the ever-popular topic of social media. I'd like to give a very warm welcome to Dr. Karen Freeberg. Hi, Karen. Welcome to Australia and welcome to Taking Care of Business. Thank you so much, Jackie. I'm really honoured to be here and it's been absolutely wonderful being here in Australia. Oh, well, that's good. I know you're up in uh, Queensland at the moment working at the University of the Sunshine Coast with a friend of the program, Dr. Karen Sutherland. Uh, I'm down here in Melbourne. So have you got any plans to visit other parts of Australia while you're here? I am, yeah. Actually, actually, I'm going to be um, out in Australia for about a month, and so I'm going to be spending most of my time up here at the um, University of the Sunshine Coast. I am actually going to be making my way down to Melbourne for a couple of days for an industry talk, actually, with Adobe, and so um, I'm going to be, you know, also spending some time in Brisbane. So it's going to be a busy, but I think very rewarding, you know, next few weeks. Great. Well, I'll, uh, when we finish the interview, I'll send you some notes about where to visit in Melbourne. Uh, it's very, di- very different from the Sunshine Coast, but they're, uh, <laughs> they're both beautiful places to visit. So I'm glad that you're having a good time in, in our summer here. Now let's mm-hmm. talk about this word sabbatical. You, mm-hmm. you seem to be working really hard. Why are you here? What are you doing? Well, yeah, so uh, my sabbatical every in the States, every seven years, we're able to take either a year or a term off from teaching to do a research project, to teach abroad, do research. And when I was talking to um, my head of uh, my department about where I wanted to go, um, I said there's no question in my mind that I would want to work with the best and learn from the best. And Karen Sutherland and I, because of social media, uh, have really fostered a very, you know, great partnership and friendship over the years. Uh, We first met actually in Melbourne in 2012 at a PR conference. And ever since then, we've stayed in touch. And from afar, I've been just truly amazed with the work and just innovativeness Karen has shown, you know, with the program up here at um, the University of the Sunshine Coast. Um, she's doing things in social media that um, we just don't have um, currently right now in the U.S. So um, I reached out to Karen about a year and a half ago and I said, look, I'd love to learn from you. I'd love to collaborate on research and, you know, see what we can do to kind of formulate a partnership. And um, the rest is history. And so, um, you know, I've been here for a week now and we've already kind of plotted plans to save the world and (laughs) work on research projects, um, collaborate and discuss things that, you know, are kind of moving in the curriculum and social media. So it's been a really exciting, you know, week so far, and we already have a few other plans for more collaborative projects in the work. So um, it's just been really eye-opening and just really such a great learning and growing experience so far. Yeah, it's nice to see uh, Australia doing some groundbreaking uh, work, Mm -hmm. and particularly in the field of social media now, which is such an important 
yeah. platform for business now. It's actually become mm-hmm. a critical part of the, the formula. So why is there not many uh, educational facilities, particularly universities, that offer social media training? Well, it's, it's, it's surprising still. And, and, I mean, I think that there are, you know, programs are kind of getting the message um, that industry are, you know, they're looking for professionals who are trained not only in the different platforms, but they know how to use the platforms. So in the States, there are specific classes that are offered at universities, and there are some degree programs. But what I, I think that you, you mentioned that I think Australia is leading the way, especially with what Karen is doing at the University of Sunshine Coast, is she's not only giving the students a range of classes, but they're going to be launching um, their own social media undergraduate program actually this this week, this Friday, and looking at the classes that are offered and then even with what the students will be walking away from after graduation is unlike anything that, I mean, I've seen in terms of the rigorous and also the level of experiential learning. So it's it's quite impressive. So I think that programs are getting the message that they need to offer classes, more programs, but Mm -hmm. I think it's professors like Karen who are leading the charge in that. So um, we've been talking about different ways we could kind of partner together um, further, you know, because I think, you know, at the University of Louisville, we have courses in um, social media. We do not have a degree program um, as of right now, but um, learning from the best, like Karen, is definitely um, one of the things that I, I definitely am here to learn and see what we can do to kind of collaborate further. That's wonderful. Now, social media seems to be changing every second. We we get told about algorithms changing and no one can keep up to date with what uh, what their platforms are doing. Uh, in your view, Karen, what uh, how does social media now, what role is it playing from a business perspective? That's a really great question, Jackie. Um, I, I think that social media, what's great about it is it is really integrated in all aspects of business. And I'm just thinking not just from a PR marketing perspective, but social media has a huge play internally as well. When you think of how people are looking at organizations now, it's not necessarily like they're going to be looking at a spokesperson for hearing, you know, the news or they're going to not necessarily look to the CEO perhaps as a trustworthy source. They may be looking internally, you know, with the employees and how can employees advocate and share the story of the business, and they can do that through social media. Um, the other thing, too, I think that social media also plays a part is both in great, you know, positive circumstances for campaigns, for storytelling, um, but social media can also be a place where it can be used in handling crisis communications. It is kind of the first place that people look to if there's uh, an emergency or crisis situation, they want to know what's going on. So it's also a channel of group of platforms that really help um, tell the story for the business um, in a way that is in real time, it's multi-platform, multi-disciplinary, you know, and it's really a place where you know, people can basically formulate communities and establish relationships. So it's, it's, I think for today, if a business is not actively engaged on social media, on the various platforms, they're, they're missing a lot. They're, they're missing missed opportunities, missed um, connections. And I know I, I've told my students, I've told my other colleagues, like I, I know personally as a professor, I would not be where I'm at without the power of social media. And really social media has brought me out here to Australia. So um, social media has a crucial part in what businesses um, have to do today. It's, it's a necessary component to keep in mind. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point that it's not just about uh, the social media, what I had for breakfast or yeah. where I'm going, but it's actually a, a vital communication channel. And that's actually how this interview happened was I follow Karen. Oh, she's been on the show before and I follow her on LinkedIn. I saw her post that you'd arrived on LinkedIn and I went, oh, that looks interesting. I sent Karen a message via LinkedIn. Would would you like to be on the show? It was set up and here we are. And that yeah. was all through social media. Yeah. And so it's a wonderful communication platform. I use it a lot for research as well. If mm-hmm. I'm going to meet a client or I've got a guest coming on the show and I'm wanting to do some background research, my first point of port of call is is LinkedIn or any social media. Uh, I had an interview earlier and um, I just looked at their Instagram account and I based my questions on what they'd put on their Instagram account. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. amazing the information that you can get from that. Karen, have, have you got a favourite platform? Ooh, that, that's tough. I, I, <laughs> I do like all of the platforms, um, but I would actually say Twitter. And I know Karen, like when I talk to Karen, um, she says, well, Twitter, um, compared to some of the other platforms, is not as popular um, down here in Australia. And um, I know even in the States, you know, Facebook still reigns king. And then, of course, Instagram is popular. But I, I like Twitter because of the relationship aspect. And I've actually had more luck with, you know, making connections and getting professional opportunities from Twitter than anywhere else. It's, it's, I kind of view people like my connections and my community on Twitter is like my Rolodex where I'm able to make virtual connections. I'm able to introduce people and then reach out to someone that I might not necessarily know or I've met in person and just say, hey, I'm, you know, I'd love to connect. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about what you're doing. And it's open up waves of opportunities. So I kind of view Twitter as kind of one of my fundamental channels um, to share what I'm doing, um, create content, share content. And it has been a one of my main platforms that I've used um, along with Facebook and Instagram um, and LinkedIn um, to share my story about what I'm doing on my sabbatical. It's a great place to be able to share your story and be able to create that community around it. So um, it's also been the major platform that I've used in all the classes that I teach in social media back in the U.S. Right, yes, it's interesting. And so I was going to ask you about the cultural differences from Australia versus the US versus the rest of the world, which platform. I know Twitter is, is really big in the US mm-hmm. and maybe your current president has, has helped them with their, with their share price because he's always on it. So I think he's yep. probably given it a bit of a, a resurgence uh, from mm-hmm. that perspective. In Australia, you, you're right. It's, it, it's, uh, it's quite an exclusive platform. A certain mm-hmm. people use that and then nothing else where some uh, use a lot. I'm finding personally Instagram is at my at the moment my uh, favourite uh, platform. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, look, it's different. So how, so what other differences are there, say, between Australia and the US or the rest of the world in your experience? Well, what I, I would say too, like the one thing that I have noticed, I mean, I really honestly haven't seen too much difference. You know, I do feel like what's been really impressive is everyone that I've talked to out here understands is not only understanding the platforms that are necessary, but how you use it mm. and the importance of telling your story and relationship management. So there's actually been a lot more similarities between the two countries that I've seen. Um, I would say the big thing that I think is really great about Australia is that um, I think there's the difference of balance. And what I mean by balance is just how and why social media, like where social media plays a part in our daily lives, where um, I actually had... We, was talking with Karen um, actually about another project, um, and we were basically discussing, like, there's this kind of in the U.S. this hustle culture where you have to be plugged in 
24-7. And that, you know, results in, you know, kind of a burnout mentality, whereas out here in the U.S., like social media, um, I mean, out here in um, Australia, like I found that social media has a place. People are sharing content, they're communicating, they're engaging, but it's not like to the point where you're plugged in 100% of the time, which I think is a very healthy relationship with technology. And so that's been something that I've kind of taken away from the few days that I've been here. So that would probably be the biggest. It's, there's In terms of what people, like how and why people are using technology, but again, kind of like the difference is like the role in which the social media plays in our day-to-day activities. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd ask uh, the other Karen. I'm feeling out of it because I'm not called Karen, but <laughs> Karen and social media. But um, ask the other Karen because I would disagree to a point to that. I think the Sunshine Coast has a much more uh, holiday mentality. They're a bit more laid back. They're Queenslanders. They're a bit slower, but no one from Queensland listens to this. So they're, you know, it's a little bit more laid back. It's, I'm joking. Uh, a little bit more laid back where I find in Melbourne and in Sydney that everyone is absolutely attached to their devices. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's, uh, I'm certainly far from an expert to, to give a view. That's just a little observation, but check with Karen Sutherland on okay. that, on that observation because that is interesting. Now I noticed also that you were a, a a huge Hootsuite ambassador, yeah. and uh, and I've I've always been hearing about Hootsuite, which is um, uh, for those that don't know what it is, and please correct me, Karen, if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Is it's a it's effectively a, a channel whereby you can manage all your social media platforms in in That's one right. in one go. Yeah. But I've heard I don't know if they're rumours or if it's true or not that the platforms like Facebook and things will penalise you if you are using Hootsuite because they're wanting you to pay to post native content. Mm-hmm. Is that true or not? What's the, what's the real uh, story behind that? Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, yeah, I've been a Hootsuite ambassador um, for about a year and a half now. Um, but I've used, like, Hootsuite has a great program, you know, for universities to be able to give access to students who want to learn their platform, but also they actually have, like, lessons and courses to teach students about social media management. So, I've been using um, their platform and resources in my classes for the last now six years. Excuse me. And so um, it's not just Facebook that is um, basically penalizing, you know, different uh, platforms, you know, like third parties, but it's it's Twitter too. Twitter has actually, um, you know, impacted a couple of brands um, for like there's certain tools, like I think um, there's a couple that are just focusing on follow and unfollow um, measures. And so they've actually, you know, closed their access to their API. This is Twitter. And so what you are seeing is that a lot of brands and like Facebook, Twitter, and some of these other platforms, they are kind of closing off some of their access. Um, and so I would say with um, Hootsuite, I'd have to do a little bit more um, investigating to see the details. But I know that um, there have been kind of like things that, have come up, you know, with the changes in the algorithm and changes in the platform. But what's been great about what Hootsuite and some of these other programs have done is they've let their customers know, saying, hey, here's what's going on. And this is kind of also an example of the difference of how social media is different from, let's say, owned media like a website or blog. And it's really kind of like rented space. Like it's basically renting an apartment. You have a place on each of these platforms. You have access to a point. But if 
you know, Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey, you know, want to change the game a little bit, they can because it's their platform. So it's you can't always rely that things will always stay the same. So you just kind of have to – it's kind of like you can be comfortable to a certain point, but always keep your eyes open and say, okay, what could change? What could basically transform our business and completely impact it for our audiences? And so that's the other thing that um, businesses have to be aware of is that nothing is always going to be staying the same, you know, if – I mean, the platforms, if they want, they can completely close access to these tools, but they haven't yet. So, um, but that's kind of this current state that we have right now with that situation. That's a perfect way to finish, to keep our eyes open. I think that's really great advice, particularly for social media, that we are renting that space. We don't own it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you, sometimes I tell people that and they go, really, what, Facebook actually owns my photos? Yeah, you, yeah, they do. The minute you post it up there, they, they own it. Uh, you're just renting yeah. that space. And and so it's good to, to be aware of that. And, and as you said, eyes wide open. I think that's really great mm-hmm. advice. Dr. Karen Freeberg, please enjoy. I know you will enjoy the rest of your time down under where, uh, very privileged to have you here and it was an honour to chat with you and I've really enjoyed our conversation and stay tuned, I'll expect a note from me about your visit to Melbourne Oh, absolutely, well thank you so much again um, Jackie for the opportunity and again the warm welcome, it has been, it's been an honour and privilege to be out here in Australia Yeah, well it's good to have you here and we love picking the best brains in the business world right here on RLPFM, we'll be right back after this short break Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a great friend of the program. I always like to check in with him every now and then to keep on top of all these trends and the fast-paced change in the business world. He's a social researcher and demographer and, as I said, great friend of the program. Hello, Mark McCrindle. G'day, Jackie. Good to be with you. Always good chatting with you, Mark. Now, what's some of the biggest trends in business at the moment? With, with, uh, I suppose there's four generations now. I was reading mm. some research saying that are entering the marketplace. So certainly, uh, diversity in age would be one of them. What else is there? Well, exactly right. You know, more of those age groups and more generations than ever in the workforce and in our consumer or client base as well. So really understanding the the difference that exists there and the increasing age difference. The fact is people are working later in life, people are living longer, people are remaining active as consumers or in running their businesses. So we will continue to see in this period of a longevity boom uh, a wider age range of customers. And what it means for us is that the lifetime value of a customer or a client has never been greater. You know, if we can continue to meet their needs as they move through those different life stages, uh, we really can engage people for the long term, which is, uh, you know, a very pleasing thing to be able to do. It's a, it's a wonderful time for you and your career to see all these changes because there's been some seismic shifts in Australia's demographics, particularly uh, this year as Gen Y and beyond, so that's Australians born since 1980, will become the largest population of the population. I could believe that. It's amazing and it was, uh, I can remember in the early 2000s when this term Generation Y was first being coined and used and people were saying, well, we've heard of baby boomers and Generation X, but who's Generation Y? And now they, along with the generation that comes afterwards, obviously Generation Z, uh, now comprise the majority of the Australian population. That is that the generation born since 1980, or Australians born since 1980, uh, now are more than half of our national population. And those two generations I've mentioned, the Ys and the Zs, who are the oldest edge are in their 30s, but the youngest edge, you know, 
just heading into their 20s, they now comprise half of the workforce as well, more than half this year. So, so the majority of the population, of the workers, of the wealth accumulators, and therefore of the, of the new purchasers, are these uh, so-called millennial or, or, or new generations, and all the more reason to understand them because they're big in number and they're big in economic power as well. So what's the key to success in understanding these? Um, they're called millennials, aren't they, Mark? Are they grouped all together, the Ys and the Zs? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the way it generally works. If people are talking millennial, they're talking about uh, what we would describe sociologically as the Gen Ys and the Gen Zs, but essentially those in their 20s or 30s. And, and I guess what it does mean is that uh, we've got these generations that have been shaped in this digital era with technology, global in outlook, influenced through the social connection, not just what the experts tell them, visual in terms of how they consume content and make decisions. They're, they're uh, also um, you know, digital in terms of those tools, and so they've got access to more information. They're a few clicks away from any product or offering out there, and all of that has transformed what they look for in a service provider in a business, um, and, and their time frames are a lot shorter as well. So we do have to be more customer-centric and more adaptive to these trends if we're to really meet and, and maintain their needs into the future. You know, your business, McCrindle Research, is uh, very well known for its visual and its data storytelling, and that's the bit I've always loved about the work you do, Mark. It's not just presenting numbers, yawn, don't understand it, but you're actually creating a story. So you're you're working with the brain because our brain loves a story. We like storytelling. It makes us understand things, and you use that a lot. So with this big data, I think you did a TEDx talk not long ago. You talked about more the number. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, we all have recognised in the last few years we've entered a world of big data and and that's powerful. You know, the business insights that come from data is incredible if we can understand it, interpret it and apply it. And that's where the visuals come in. We say that big data needs to be visual data if we're to really put it into practice. It was uh, 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 Tom Peters, the management expert, he used to say, what gets measured gets done. And so in business, we've got our KPIs, no doubt. We've got the data that we track, sales, whatever it might be. But I would I would add to the Peters saying there, and I'd, I'd add extra phrase in the middle, I'd say what gets measured and effectively communicated gets done. And so the effective communication part is trying to help our team members or indeed the customers see the data by making it visual. You know, in the last few years, we've seen this this term infographic where data is presented in visual charts, where reports uh, have a lot more visual elements to them because we are time poor. We're not going to read through the big report, but if we can see it in the symbols or the pictures and clearly understand the message through that, it's going to stick in our brain better. It's going to be quicker to consume. It's going to be easier to share, particularly on a digital platform. And, and the more we share it, the more we understand it and we'll apply it. And so that is the power and the importance of visual, not just to make it look pretty, but strategically to make sure those communications are effective. Hence the rise of the emoji. <laughs> exactly right. That's yeah, well, right. Because the... you know, we, we communicate, you know, uh, emotionally, not just rationally. And, and the pictures and the emojis, are the, the way we communicate in text language, it brings the heart and not just the head. And that's, that's true in any communication. Yes, well, uh, the visual side of our brain is uh, superiorly dominant. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's good to tap into that. Now, the other thing I noticed, uh, Mark, recently you are in China talking about trends in the Australian 
Australian market. What were you chatting about? Yeah, well, just uh, how yeah, really Australia is is part of of, of our region. Yeah, we look to the north now, not just to Europe in terms of where our connections comes from. Our census data, the, the latest Australian census showed us that now of Australians born overseas, and that's more than a quarter of us, more were born in Asia than in Europe. So we have shifted even our our, our migration patterns to, to take into account our part of the world. And uh, and so the, the, the demographic epicentre of our globe is just to our north in Asia. It's the emerging economic epicentre as well. And so we do a lot of analysis of Asia and get over there a fair bit uh, to communicate some of the insights and trends and really help them understand the Australian marketplace as well. And and what I find over there and what we found in this, this recent tour is uh, very sophisticated and engaged business community in China, an emerging small business marketplace as well, um, global in outlook and really looking to Australia uh, as a place of of investment and benefit. We are on their radar from an education perspective, uh, from a, a an export you know country perspective, and, and obviously our, our property and our um, cities are, and infrastructure are key areas that China looks at and can can assist Australia with. So and right across Southeast Asia as well. So that was part of the, the tour there and just sharing some of our analysis. Well, talking about global education, I also noticed that you're uh, just starting your PhD at Harvard Business School of all schools. Uh, how come you chose Harvard and what are you doing your PhD in? Well, it's it's a, a, a doctorate in international leadership, and and you know as I was just communicating with uh, with those broader trends, you know, it has to be global leadership we bring to the fore now, not just a, a traditional perspective. We have to be able to have not just that IQ and not even just the EQ or the social intelligence, but the the CQ, the cultural intelligence. You know, manage different generations of different cultures and backgrounds, and be adept as to uh, whether we're you know in a local position environment or an international meeting or, or managing you know, some offshore staff. So, so that's all, all part of what's required these days and, uh, and that's what the, uh, the doctorate involves. It's an international cohort of, of students from Australia, from the US, some from Canada and uh, uh, it's, it's a three-year program where, well, four years in, in the end by the time you, you write up the thesis. So we'll, um, we'll spend some time this year in the UK as well at at Oxford, and uh, and so it just gives us this this global perspective on on what's happening in business, in leadership, and in uh, in this fast changing, uh, mega trends driven uh, business environment. Yeah, well, that's really exciting, Mark, and uh, c- okay. congratulations. I think it'll be great, and and it'll be great to actually get that insight globally into these mega trends. So, let's talk a little bit about some global mega trends that we know now. What are some of the uh, insights you've got at the current time? Well, a big one this year would have to be trust, and it's not just true in Australia where we've had you know a couple of royal commissions that have really focused in on trust and, and how well uh, some big players in various sectors are delivering. But it's it's we see it internationally with with brands. Uh, with whether it be you know food brands that we consume and can we trust the safety of them to cars we drive and can we trust the reports written about the the, the standards of these vehicles wherever we look to whatever the sector here in Australia you know, banking and finance um, aged care and uh, and religious institutions whatever it may be uh, Australians are, and and I think right around the world people are looking 
to make decisions on trust. And it's always been important for a business to have that trust reputation. But I think these days, even more than ever, because as I said earlier, what influences us is what others are saying, not just what the brand says about itself and what we find and what what our experience has been and the experience of others. And those organisations that can not only have trust and, and have a legacy of it, but can maintain that trust in terms of delivering, delivering to customers what they say they will, in terms of living by the values that they espouse, and in terms of being those global citizens, uh, that's what really does uh, create a, a premium of consumer engagement these days. And, um, and so trust would have to be one of those key themes for the, the year ahead. And the other one that we um, haven't touched on that we've been looking at is is this this year of what we're calling a recessionette. Now, I don't think we're we're quite heading towards a recession and certainly technically speaking, you know, we've we've had a dream run for a couple of decades without one. But as the property prices have dropped, Australians are getting a sense of feeling less wealthy, a sense that they're house is not worth what it once was, a sense that uh, those mortgage repayments might tighten up. Certainly living costs have been going up and wages growth has been flat. And that is coming to a point this year where Australians are cutting back a little bit here and there on their spend. And that does have some flow on impact. So not quite mini recession, but certainly that feeling of a slow growth environment and, uh, and, and a few further tightenings to come across the Australian consumer landscape. Mark McCrindle, it's always stimulating and very reflective uh, a conversation with you, but I liked your point about in uh, the uh, addendum to uh, Tom Peters about things being effectively communicated. That's always the key, and I think that's uh, part of this discussion today. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Well, I have too. Thanks so much, Jackson.